By the way, this is the shirt they picked up. This was not wife or mother approved attire for Sunday morning. I thought I'd use it as an excuse to wear a t-shirt up here. So, um, But again, thanks for being here. I wasn't sure we'd have enough people here, so I flew in extras. My family's over here uh, today, so I'm glad to have them, uh, have them around. Sue Babcock said, I think the Brattons might outnumber the Babcocks today. That's a pretty good thing. Yeah. Yeah, but not the Lancers. Thank you. You're right. Uh, <laughs> hey, thanks again so much for being here. So uh, today, of course, is December 31st or 123123, right? You pick up on that, uh, 1231 of 23. And this is like the perfect storm for a preacher. This is like ideal uh, conditions for ministers around the world today because we get to minister on the last day of the year. And any kind of encouragement that we give you about 2024 and going into a new year, you don't have to sleep on it for two nights, three nights, even one night. We get to give this challenge to you and say, here you go. You got a whole year and tomorrow it starts. And so this is like the perfect storm for preachers. We love it. When uh, Christmas Eve was on Sunday, it's a little tougher, but we look forward to New Year's Eve on a Sunday because we just get to lay it all out and say, and tomorrow we're starting. Right. So this is an awesome day uh, for preachers to get to minister around the world on 1231 of 23 as we get ready to ring in a new year. And uh, the thing that you're going to hear, the challenge that you're going to hear from uh, preachers anywhere and you're going to hear from this one today is what are you going to look like at this time next year spiritually? What is your life going to look like 365 days from now? As we start a new year and everything's fresh and we put back the past and all that kind of stuff and we turn the page tomorrow, at the end of next year, what's going to look different about you spiritually than you look like today or that you are today? And we have this mission around here, as many of you know, and you see it in the bathroom walls and the walls around, you see it on our website, we have this mission and it's called Helping People Journey with Jesus. That was just to make sure you're awake. Yep. Helping People Journey with Jesus. Um, that's our mission statement, and our goal is that if anybody is not on this mission is, or on this journey, if anyone has not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, that obviously is the first step of the journey. How do we make disciples? How do we share the gospel message so people have this desire to be on this journey to be like Jesus? And it starts with accepting this free gift of grace that God has extended to all of us. And said, um, you're sinners, you need a savior. And God says, here it is. This is Jesus. He died on the cross for your sins. And we just have to grab hold of that. We have to take hold of that and believe in him and receive that free gift of grace. And when, when we do, we become part of his family. But then we're on this journey. And we've talked about it several times over the past year that being a Christian is, is not a stagnant state of mind. It's not a stagnant thing. It's something we continue to grow in. And when it comes to journeying with Jesus, we have these four statements. I call them vision statements. You can call them core values, whatever kind of verbiage you want to use. Uh, but we've decided that when we look at the life of Jesus in his ministry, that when he went into the synagogue, he would preach and teach like no one else they'd ever heard teach and preach before. And what was he teaching from? The law and the prophets. And uh, the poetry, the, the scrolls that they would have in the synagogue. And so Jesus knew scripture, of course. And if we want to know about Jesus, if we really want to journey with him, we need to seek scripture. We need to understand. So I was so proud of the people that read their Bible all the way through in a year. I think that's amazing. And just keep that momentum going. The second thing we say is if, um, if you're in some kind of discipleship relationship, we call it sharpen and be sharpened. In Proverbs 27, 17, it says, so as uh, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. 
Jesus, of course, had his 12 disciples. He had his inner uh, group of three, and he was discipling them. He commissioned us to go make more disciples. And the question is, when it comes to journeying with Jesus, do you have your circle of people, Christian people, that you are sharpening and allowing to sharpen you as well as you meet and pray together and talk about God's word together? The third thing is showing compassion. Showing compassion. So loving people, showing the love of Jesus outside of these four walls. What does that look like for you and your family? And then finally, we have serving sacrificially. And around here, we talk about serving in the church body and everybody finding their part. P-A-R-T. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he's like, we're all members of one body. And we can't all be the arms. We can't all be the ears. We can't all be the eyes. And so everybody needs to find their part. A position with attributes and responsibilities and a time commitment. What does it look like for you to find your part within the church? And so we put this thing, uh, this thing in the bulletin right there, okay? And I didn't hand out a pair of scissors to everyone because that didn't sound like a safe idea. Um, and so uh, you have to do it old school. But there's a little line there. And you can fold it. And you can fold it back and forth 50 times like you used to do in school. And then lick it. Like, and get it all soggy. And then you can tear it off right there at the perforation, right? Um, I guess it's not a perforation. It's just a dotted line. And uh, I just want to challenge you. Um, to do something today. All right. And you don't have to do this. This is not law. This is not oh, you're sinning if you don't do this. Right. Um, but I want you to put your name on it. And if you can do it today, that'd be awesome. Just put it in the offering box as you leave today. Um, and maybe you need a week to sleep on it, which is fine, too. But I want you to think about those four areas. Seeking scripture, sharpening and being sharpened, showing compassion and serving sacrificially and identify something maybe in all four Maybe in three of the four, maybe two of the four, maybe you just want to start with one that you say, this is going to be different about me next year than what I am today. Maybe if you've never picked up your Bible before, maybe that's a good place to start. And I'm not going to tell you to spend an hour every day in God's word if you've never read it before, because chances are you won't make it a week. Maybe you need to start with three days a week, maybe two days a week. Maybe you do want to take the challenge of reading the Bible all the way through. But I want you to put something there. If that's the area that you need strengthened in, I want you to write that down. I'm going to read the Bible all the way through and just commit to it with your name on it and put it in the offering box so we can help hold each other accountable um, and communicate and encourage encourage one another toward being stronger. So that, again, next year, our spiritual life is different. It's closer to Jesus than it is today. Now, Some people have a long way to go. Right. Some people are very new in their faith, trying to figure this whole things out. And some people have been in the church for a gazillion years and it's just a fine tuning. But the fact of the matter is we all have something we can improve in when it comes to discipleship or sharpening and being sharpened. If you're not in Titus two ladies or base camp for guys or life group, um, if you are uh, not uh, in Bible study fellowship, um, if you're not meeting with some group, a group of people, quite frankly, I, I would stop every program that we have. And I've said this before. If every single person would find two or three other people or one couple would find two or three other couples uh, that you would just have Bible study every other week together. That's discipleship. Just sitting down, having coffee, reading a passage of scripture, uh, asking questions, talking about it and praying together. Maybe that's what you want to do in 2024. But write that down. Showing compassion. I have a, a friend that um, I'm going to butcher how he says it, but it goes something along the lines of our family has this saying that we never ignore a generous urge. So that if anybody in their family has somebody approach them or they see a need and they feel the Holy Spirit saying, you know what, you need to step in there. They never ignore that. 
And you know the inner battles that we have, right? We have this need comes up and we're like, I don't know if it's, I don't know if they're just working me or if it's a real need or whatever. And we start to ask the question. And they just say, whenever there's an urge that we feel we're just stepping in, we're going to, we're going to help meet the need in some way, shape or form. Um, maybe you want to put on your thing that every time you see somebody holding the cardboard sign saying they're out of work and they need some food, that in 2024, you're going to give them something. And I know you're like, oh man, they just doing that. They're making all, whatever. Maybe that's what you want to put down because you're saying, you know what? I just want to be generous. God has blessed me and I just want to do something for, for others. When it comes to serving sacrificially, the no brainer, right? Find a place in the, in the church to serve, (laughs) right? Find your part. What is your part? That you have. Tim's got a whole wall out there of uh, positions that we need filled that are volunteering so you can be a part of the church. All right. Um, that's the first half of your of your bulletin there. And you're looking at the other five points saying, man, we're going to be here till supper time. I promise we won't. OK. Here's the last thing I want to say about that part is this. Saying, nah, I'm good. I really don't want to be anybody different from what I am today spiritually. I don't think that's an option. And in truth and love, I would simply say to you, if that's your mindset or your attitude toward growing closer to Jesus over the next year, I'm going to ask you to repent. Because it's, it's just not okay. We need to look at our life and look in the mirror and say, if I'm really called, what did John said it this way, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's what John, the apostle, said. And if we truly are believers, we truly are Christians, if we say we abide in Christ, and I can say that, I'm sorry, but none of us are perfect, right? (laughs) That we all have room to grow in that. And so if we want to walk the way that Jesus walked, we need to study his word and know who Jesus was, and we need to behave in the same way. It's a tall order. And so we need to take it one chunk at a time. And maybe for you, again, it's being in God's word. Maybe it's being in discipleship. Maybe it's just having a generous spirit. Or maybe it's finding your place to serve in the local church. So I asked myself as I was getting ready for this Sunday, why would people say no to this? Why would anybody say, eh, I don't think so. Or I really don't want to tell you, Andy. Or I don't want to be a part of this. And I I just don't want to do it anymore. And I thought, well, maybe it's the planning part. Maybe it's the planning, but we all know the cliche, right? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? And I can tell you, if you say, you know what, I want to do more Bible reading next year, but you don't write something down, chances are we won't. I think that's pretty fair to say, isn't it? And so I thought, well, maybe it's the planning aspect and people to say, well, maybe I just want to be spontaneous about my spiritual growth. I want to be spontaneous about how I grow in my relationship with Jesus. So I asked the question, and I asked it of my Bible study fellowship guys, and there was some great dialogue. I said, is there ever a time in the Bible where God was spontaneous? Can you think of a time in the Bible where the creator of the world was spontaneous? Some would say that maybe creation itself was spontaneous. I don't know. Can you think of a time when God was spontaneous? And so I found this passage of Scripture, and uh, I don't know if, uh, I, I don't know, what You help me decide with it, okay? We're going to be in Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. uh, As we leave 23, we're going to be in Exodus. Get it? 
Exodus, we're leaving. Yeah, it's not that funny. All right, Exodus chapter 32. And uh, in Exodus chapter 32, the context of uh, Exodus 32 is this. Moses, uh, we know, was uh, he was raised up by Pharaoh's daughter, and then he had to escape Egypt because he killed an Egyptian. And then at 80 years old, God calls him from a burning bush and says, I'm going to use you, Moses, to go free my people, the Israelites, who had been enslaved for hundreds of years. And so Moses uh, is reluctant, but then he goes, and we know the story, all the plagues and everything, and death of the firstborn. And as they're escaping, they part the, he parts the waters so they can, they can get through. And so as God is leading them on this journey to the promised land, the promised land, he has this plan in place for what everything's going to look like. And part of that plan is that he's going to establish for the Israelites these laws, the Ten Commandments. We've heard of that, right? Um, He's going to establish the Ten Commandments. He's going to give those to Moses so Moses can deliver those to the people of Israel. And so Moses is going to go up on this mountain, and he's going to receive this from God and bring it down and deliver it to the people. And in Exodus chapter 32, that's the setting. He's up on the mountain, and he's meeting with God. Can we just pause there for a second and think, whoa, would that not be awesome to have a direct meeting with God? I know he didn't get to see his face, right? But he got to go meet and communicate with the holy God, the creator of the universe. That would be pretty incredible, wouldn't it? All right, pause is over. All right, 32, 1 through 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, uh, who was Moses' brother. He was chosen as the guy to be the mouthpiece for Moses because Moses was reluctant, saying, I don't speak very well. And uh, God had Moses, or Aaron come be the mouthpiece, all right? So Moses went up, but Aaron was left behind. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron, and they said this to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Aaron, make us some gods. Why would they even think that? We have to remember that for generations, they had been enslaved in Egypt where they were surrounded by what? Gods of every kind. Idols, all kinds of stuff. In fact, uh, experts would say that when you look at the ten plagues, what was God really defeating in that? All of those plagues you could trace to a different God, a little G God, showing, and God showing that he's greater than all these gods, right? But they missed that point completely. They said, make us gods that will go before us. As for Moses, we don't even know, we don't even know what happened to him. I mean, we know this is a God that makes thunder and all kinds of things happen. He could have died when he was up there. We don't know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The Israelites lacked patience for God's plan and they had a meltdown. You see what I did there? A meltdown? Yeah. They had a meltdown in two forms. One, they melted down all this stuff and made a golden calf out of it. But they had a meltdown in their relationship with God. While Moses was up on the mountain, communicating with the one true living God, creator of the universe, the people that he chose to be his people 
or at the base of the mountain, creating other gods in which to worship. And by the way, where did they get all the jewelry, the gold and the earrings and all that? Do you remember where they got that? They got it from the Egyptians. Why? Because God made the Israelites favorable to the Egyptians and he allowed them to have a holy ransacking before they left. He's like, go and ask him for their stuff and they'll give it to you. And they did. They gave him all the stuff and they're taking the stuff that God blessed them with and turned it into a golden calf. They lack patience in waiting for God's plan to play out. They lacked patience and faith and trust in a holy God. And what did they do? They created a God of their own. Verses 7 through 10. The Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn not against or may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. God's meltdown was caused by the Israelites turning away from him. God had a holy meltdown. I don't think that's blasphemous to say that God just lost it. He just lost it. He's like, Moses, just stand apart. These stiff-necked people, I'm tired of them. I'm starting over with you. We're going to have like the flood thing all over again, but it's going to be focused just on my Israelites. And I'm going to wipe them out. I'm tired of having this communication with them, telling them what I want, and they ignore it, and they ignore it, and they ignore it. Finally, I am done. God says, Moses, I'm, let my fierce anger burn. And that was the moment and I thought, maybe that was spontaneous. The spontaneous reaction of God toward his people, an unplanned action, but it wasn't because of God's misdoing, it was because of man's meltdown. Next few verses, Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Why let the Egyptians, the ones that are left, associate the one true living God with evil? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Abraham, of course, was the first one that he uh, had that covenant with. Uh, Israel, of course, is Jacob. So remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were Israel. Your servants to whom you swore by your own self. You made a promise to them. And said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. God relented as Moses appealed to his relationship with the Israelites. Moses stepped in. It's somewhat as similar, but obviously Moses was not a perfect guy, but it's similar how Jesus stepped in to take on your and I's burdens for salvation. Moses stepped in for the people and he rescued them by appealing to God and saying, okay, I know you're mad. I get it. But don't let the Egyptians or anyone else in this world say that you're not a good God. And remember the relationship that you have with our forefathers. Remember the covenant promise that you made and that even in your anger, Even with all of this 
neglect that the people are showing toward you, how they're rejecting you, all of this sin, I want you to please remember. Remember this covenant promise that you had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so God relented. And maybe that was the moment of spontaneity. Maybe that was God being spontaneous when Moses appealed to him and God said, all right, I'll back off. Verses 15 through 20, a little bit longer passage. Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Listen to this. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Moses was carrying down with him the autograph of the creator God. How many of you have something autographed at home that you put under a glass thing so that nobody touches it and gets fingerprints on it? I have a Super Bowl fo- football from when the Indianapolis Colts beat the Chicago Bears. Um, yes, the Chicago Bears, Brett Gallagher, if you're listening, in the Super Bowl. And I have it in this little encased thing. I have no idea why. I don't know if fingerprints are going to hurt it or what, but I have it all covered up, right? And I have this little thing on, on my shelf in there. This was the handiwork of God on stone, front and back. He's carrying down the mountain. One, I can't imagine how heavy that was. But secondly, the hand of God wrote on these tablets. And he's getting to carry them down the mountain. When Joshua, uh, Joshua would be the one that leads him into the promised land. And he got to go up with Moses as his special assistant on this assignment. When he heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, and I think it is Moses saying this, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. I think that's interesting that Joshua, as he's going down, says, I think I hear the voice of or I hear the sound of war. But actually, what was it really the sound of people worshiping a different God other than the one true living God? And I think as a side note, there's a lesson in that for us, isn't there? Sometimes we think there's victory in us and that the the celebration that we have is an amazing thing. But then when we realize that it's not us worshiping a holy God, it's us worshiping ourselves. It really sounds like war to God. It doesn't sound like victory. As soon as he came near the camp and he saw the calf and he saw the dancing, Moses's anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets. He threw the tablets, the handiwork of God. Out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. That's how angry Moses was. You have something precious that you don't want anybody to touch or you don't want anybody to get out and only in, in case special guests arrive or whatever. And don't drop that. Don't drop that. That, that was grandma's. That was great grandma's. Don't do that. And you're really careful with it. Imagine how angry Moses must have been holding the tablets that God himself wrote on that he would see what was going on and smash them. He took the calf that they had made and he burned it with fire and he ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Moses' view from God's shoes led to his own meltdown. Moses, if you remember, was appealing to God saying, relent of what you want to do. I know you're angry, but remember the relationship with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And now as he comes down the mountain and he actually sees with his own own eyes what God already knew, his anger gets so risen up in him. He becomes so angry and his anger is so fierce that he smashes the tablets of God and he punishes the people of Israel. There was no one there to intercede to have Moses relent from what he wanted to do. 
like Moses did for what God did. The next day, so after that passage, Moses goes and he confronts Aaron. He's like, what did they have to do to talk you into this? And you know what Aaron said? He's like, man, I don't know. You were gone for a while. They come over. They made me do this. They threw all the jewelry in the fire and out popped this golden calf. Right. That's not what we read earlier. It said they carved it and everything was fine tuned in it. But Aaron's like, yeah, it just popped out right there in front of us. And Moses said, fine, whoever's with me, come to this side. Whoever's not stay over there. And the family of Levites came over with him. And he said, I want you to take your sword and I want you to go through camp and I want you to destroy and kill your brother, your friend, your neighbor, those that are, who are not on the Lord's side. And that day, thousands of people lost their lives because of what they did. Well, the next day after all of, the, all of that happened, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. If you won't forgive them, I don't want to have any part of them. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. I don't know if this story is really about God being spontaneous or God helping Moses realize how angry he gets. I wonder if God's plan in all of this, knowing the hearts of man and knowing the hearts of the Israelites, that his planned action was, I'm going to get angry, Moses is going to intercede, and then he's going to go down and he's going to understand why I'm so angry. And then he's going to make changes. He's going to rid himself of all the people and all the stuff in the camp that are not leading people to Jesus, that are not leading people to God, to a relationship with him. And he's going to continue to lead them to this promised land that God has in store for them. And God's planned spontaneity taught Moses a lesson about belonging to him. About belonging to him. When we consider our life today and all the things that we're dealing with. And I know we're all sinners. We deal with temptation. We deal with stuff uh, in our lives. If we consider our life today and we look 365 days down the road. And say, what am I going to look like at the end of next year? What's the picture that's being painted for you by a holy God? What's he writing on your heart? Much like he wrote the Ten Commandments for the Israelites to say, this is what it means to follow me. What's he writing on your heart to say, this is what we need to make a change about your life? And with God speaking to you through the Holy Spirit that's what's inside of you, what does it look like for you to respond to this holy God? Who's saying, let's make some changes in 2024. Are we going to be righteously angry at the way that we have been living our life? Or maybe that's something that's not on a path journeying with Jesus. And are we going to throw that thing away? And are we going to get on this journey to be like him? Identifying the areas that we need to grow. Putting a plan in place and saying, I want to be more like Jesus. Are we going to be hungry for that? Moses said, if you're going to punish him, I want you to just, if you're not going to forgive him, blot my whole name out. Are we that passionate? Are we that hungry to know more about who God is 
and to improve our relationship with him even that much more. Even that much more. When you look at your life from God's perspective, what idols need to be melted down so that you can better journey with him? I think the reason that people say no when it comes to a challenge of what you're going to look like next year compared to this year and what's the plan that you're going to put in place, a spiritual plan, is that we have a lot of golden calves in our life that we just don't want to melt down and get rid of. Sometimes it's work. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's children and family. Sometimes it's hobbies. What are the things that are hindering us from being on this journey to be like Jesus that we just need to melt down and get out of our life so that we can get rid of our righteous anger toward ourselves and the anger that God has towards sin and say, I want to be more like Jesus. Again, if you're here today and you've not gotten on that journey yet, if you, you've not accepted that free gift of grace that God is extending to you through Jesus, why not let today be that day? That would be a great way to end 2023 and to start 2024 as a family member of a holy God, would it not? So if you're here today and you've never repented and said, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. If you've never confessed your belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If you've never entered the watery graves of baptism, as Romans 6 tells us, united with Jesus in his death and his burial so that you can have a resurrection like his. I'm going to be down at the cross after the service, and I'd be glad to meet you there, talk with you about what that means and what that is. And we've got shorts and T-shirts. Obviously, I've got some T-shirts um, that we could take care of that today if that's what God is calling for you to do. And for everyone else, again, I would just encourage you. Take a look at your life spiritually and say, what's that one thing? What's that two thing? What are those four things that I'm going to do differently in 2024 to improve, to increase, to draw closer to the holy God who didn't only create you, but he saved you through the blood of his son. And he wants to be with you for all of eternity. And he wants you to be like Jesus. Father, thank you for this morning. And Lord, thank you for your word um, that we can have in our hands to be able to read. I know some people around the world don't have that luxury that we have to have it right in front of us. So, Father, we have no excuse. We have no excuse because we have it right here to be able to read about who you are, about what you desire of us, what you've done for us through Jesus on the cross. My prayer, Father, is that if anyone's here today and who is not on a journey to be like you, that today would be the day. But for those of us that have received Jesus, Lord, my prayer is that we would just honestly assess who we are today as a Christ follower and say, what is it I'm going to do differently so that this time next year, I can see a change and a difference in how, how much closer I am to you. That's my prayer, prayer Father. It's in Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. I'll just stand and let's sing.